That was interesting. Uh, is anybody bold enough to admit that they uh, did not uh, find these to be the words of life? Did anybody not say thanks be to God? I'm curious. Anybody bold enough to admit that? Okay. Yeah. We're going to chat a little bit about that today. Um, it'll be interesting. So um, let's just talk about these verses. So this uh, text, uh, right, boiled down is, wives respect your husbands, husbands love your wives. Um, and This is one of the texts. Uh, There's certain texts in the Bible that um, some people call texts of terror because of how they've been used in history. Um, And so this text is... um, It it has a long history. So we we can debate about whether or not what it meant in the original is good or not. That's a completely different conversation, though, from how it's been used in the last 2,000 years. And over the last 2,000 years, this text in particular, this, this is a very famous text in this regard, has been used to say wives need to be under their husbands. Um, wives need to submit to their husbands. And the way that this text works is that it is not an equal dynamic, right? It's not. Uh, as there is another passage, it's not uh, wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to your wives. It's wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. And so it sets up this dynamic in which the man is above the woman. And we see this in later theology. Um, There's some people who say that, you know what, man was created in the image of God and woman was created in the image of man rather than they're both created in the image of God. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be diving into some of these issues of what have we been doing. Um, We're going to use this text as a jumping-off point for thinking of how have we as Christians allowed systems and relationships of domination to exist and um, and to stay present, in our intimate relationships, and what does that look like? And then ultimately, to try and get at the question, are these words of life? Are, do we affirm these as words of God? Um, and so to help me with that today, I'm I, absolutely grateful. We have Amy Sanford-Schmidt with us. Uh, she works with uh, Paulsbow Rotary and is uh, at work in the Merrow uh, Manor Moro Manor, I can't get it. Moro Manor Project, which uh, she'll tell us a little bit about as well, but she's going to help us dive in some more to some of these dynamics. So, Amy, thank you very much for being with us. Um, so, could you help unpack this for us? So, we, um, over the long term, this passage has been used very uh, straightforwardly to say men are above women. And it's not an equal relationship, it's a relationship of domination. Um, What does that look like today and in our context? I was actually born into domestic violence, so I've I've seen this my whole life, so I call myself a 42-year survivor. Mm. And I've been in and out of it because I ended up, my first marriage Mm. was to a man who really 
used that text in the way that we know has been battered. And we see it over and over and over. And I actually moved to Bainbridge about six years ago. I was in the Portland area, so I'm still a Northwest girl. But I've always loved the small towns. And I learned about some of the work that was happening in this area by Artist Morrow, mm -hmm. who this project is named. And a lot of you guys know artists. You're shaking your heads. She is pretty famous around here. But because of, um, and we can talk about more of who the victims are, she got involved in the state of Washington in the 80s, and she managed to change laws in the state because she parked herself on the doorstep of Washington and managed to change the laws to protect victims of domestic violence because there wasn't a lot of protection. When my mother was being battered, there was no protection, and the laws didn't protect her. We had to live with family. And I actually lost a, a good friend of mine in the Portland area. I got a call after I'd moved here. And because I hadn't been talking about my experiences because I was shamed by it, I didn't want to talk about it. I was in my church. She ended up getting killed by our friend, which was her husband, because she was in a domestic violence situation. He killed their two children and her and took the gun on himself. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment that I realized that even in these small communities, we've got to talk about it. And something that I was telling you about when mm -hmm. we first met, and we talked about it during our reflective time, right here. We said that we don't want to believe that something is going on if we can't see it. And you talked about the homeless man. Because so many of the homeless people on Bainbridge live in the forest, we can't necessarily see them, so we don't necessarily know it's there. Mm -hmm. Same thing with domestic violence. There are more instances of domestic violence on Bainbridge than in the rest of North Kitsap County. And it's staggering to hear that because those are statistics coming right out of the YWCA that keeps track of this. And where I got my refuge when I finally decided to leave my husband for the 26th time, it was my church because I knew I could trust him. I knew I could go to him. And he gave me refuge in a person's home for three months. No, I'm not necessarily advocating that because you are putting yourself in a dangerous situation by doing that. I'm just saying people need to know where they can go. There are not a lot of resources even in the entire Kitsap County, for people to truly have a place to go, because mm. you need a place to go. Right. Can you tell us a little more about uh, who is affected by domestic violence? Um, Rand, do you want to do the first one? So the victims of domestic violence, we talk a lot. Here's my friends. This is my friend Amy and Bailey and Jackson, and those are my friends that were killed by her husband. Mm. And that was a very sad day for me. Very, very sad day. Um, it's families like this. What we don't talk about is that not 100% of the victims are women. There are men that are victims of domestic violence. In fact, in our Rotary group, we have a man who's been a huge advocate of this and uh, through his business has helped donate a lot of money to this cause that we do out of Pulsebar Rotary. 
um, because he was a victim for 20 years in his marriage. So there are male victims in this as well, and it's even harder for them to come out and talk about this because of the image we have about the family. Do you want to do the next one? This is a hard image to look at. Mm. This is Artis's great nephew. And this is what happens to the poor children that are in these abusive domestic violence situations. And it's hard to see it. He's got what they call a, a raccoon syndrome. He died shortly after this. And that's why she got involved in this. She said, no more. We went through the system. We tried to help. We're going to change these laws. And it was his father that actually was the person that was convicted. He had been hit so hard that the blood pooled in his head. And it's just, it's hard to even talk about it. And I've heard the story over and over and over from artists. But those are the people. It's, it's our neighbors. When, I, when we did this presentation at Kiwanis, our police chief here on Bainbridge, because I'm a Bainbridge Island resident, I live down in Fort Ward, I love this island, he came up to me and he said, it breaks my heart how often we see the domestic violence in the homes on this island, because there's three different kinds of abuse. There's the physical abuse that we see like this, my husband was really smart. He didn't leave marks. He was very good at the emotional abuse. You get PTSD as a, re as a result of being abused. You will have it the rest of your life. You just learn to handle it. The other thing that happens is financial abuse. And that's where they control your finances, and so you don't feel like you can escape. And that's what the police chief says happens a lot on this island is that there is the power of the money that the person doesn't feel that they can leave because of the consequences if they do. And so that's why you don't see as many people talking about it in our own communities because they feel like they can't. And we want to change that. Yeah. It, it strikes me that one of the things that you talked about was about the laws around this. Um, and so if you remember back to the passage we read, and so remember we're talking about this domination of uh, setting up this hierarchy of men over women. Um, laws are one way that we as societies uh, codify and kind of makes a structural part of our society a, a perspective. Um, and so if laws do not allow for, say, um, holding the abuser accountable, then that's, it's because there's a kind of a structural way that we've baked this into our society and how we structure things and how we think about things. Um, one thing I'm curious if you could talk about, um, I, I know some of my friends would say, well, that's, you know, them out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't happen to us Christians in here because we're, we're good. And mm -hmm. how would you respond to that? So I'm not going to ask if anybody has personally gone through it, but if somebody in your family has been affected by domestic violence in some way, raise your hand that you know about. I always get about half the room, and that's what we're talking about. It Honestly, it affects at least half of us. The shelter down in Bremerton every month has to turn away, on average, 
150 people a month. It's staggering. Mm. And what I found out in our meeting earlier this week, which was new news to me, mm. is that we've raised a lot of money that we're doing right now to build housing for domestic violence victims that we're, we're raising this money and it's amazing how generous people are because they believe in this. We don't have housing like this in Kitsap and we're gonna give it to YWCA debt free and it's gonna be theirs to own and manage. And the director of the YWCA said in our meeting today, our funding is drying up. We used to get funding from the city of Bremerton, we used to get county funding, and all of that is starting to dry up. They're actually having to lay people off. They're staff that can't support the growing number of domestic violence, and it's because as a community, we're not raising our hands and saying, you know what, homelessness is important, domestic violence is important. The number one cause of women and children to be homeless is domestic violence. And it's staggering. I mean, Coffee Oasis, you, I see you hold your meetings at Coffee Oasis. Those are the youth that are homeless and most of them are coming from situations like this. So you, you kind of touched on a little bit of it, but so if we have a sense of the problem, yep. so what, what is, how do we work against it? And especially as people of faith, how can we uh, be of any assistance in this problem? So I'm, I might get the name of the group wrong, but it was the Interfaith Council mm -hmm. where we presented. And it was about a year ago, I think. Yeah, it was about a year ago. And we had all of the area churches there and we presented this. And I'm a member of Grace Episcopal and we presented it, Grace. We've tried to hit all of the churches we can because like in so many things, it's a grassroots effort. And it has to be us doing this as a community that want to change this. And so I highly recommend that we've got a lot of small, amazing churches on this island. If we all got together and actually embraced this problem, I think that we could actually conquer a whole lot more and we'd have a much bigger voice because I was shocked to hear funding is drying up. I was really shocked. And it's got to come from us. It's got to come from not necessarily writing a check, but it's saying, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to volunteer, or I'm going to help, or reaching out to YWCA. Is there anything we can do on the island to help you? There is a shelter. They still, I heard that it may or may, may not still be functioning. The Alive one? Yes, but they had a shelter that they were um, using on and off that was actually here on the island. And there was a church here on the island that helped maintain it. And it was through YWCA so that there was something local so that when the, the biggest problem is that when these children get moved over and over and over again, there's no stability in the family. And it's important to be able to have stability because it's one less thing to worry about. Kids are still going to school. That's fine, let's get one thing at a done where we can check it off. But the biggest problem with this is that as a victim, you feel so alone. You feel as though nobody truly understands, but you've got 50% of your congregation here that somehow understand. They've been affected by it. That's where it starts, is raising your hand and reaching out and going, I understand, I'll listen 
because you feel so alone. And it takes a long time. It's been 15 years for me, and I still suffer every day. But you just get stronger. And that's what they need. They need to feel as though there's one less thing to worry about. I know you're going to be around at the coffee time afterwards um, to tell us a little bit more. Uh, Maybe just uh, wrap it up. Could you tell us just briefly about the Mormon project and what that's looking like? So there's three different phases of domestic violence housing. Your initial housing is that emergency 90-day shelter, the one in Bremerton. They had one here on the island, and it's sometimes open, sometimes not. It just depends on if they've got people to run it. And that's where 150 people a month are being turned away. The next phase is what they call like uh, supportive housing. And supportive housing is where they're out of danger, things are stabilized, and we've got four units in the entire county that support that. And it's two duplexes. One is in Palsbo that artists started, and we named it Eli's Place for her nephew. And the other one is called Tersh's House, and that's in Silverdale. And that was also donated. The sheriff had lost his daughter. Wasn't it a daughter? Yeah. Daughter named Tertia to domestic violence. So those are the only two supportive housing. So you think about it. We've got two duplexes in the entire county. Most of these housing sites have been donated by somebody because otherwise it becomes unaffordable for the YWCA to try to pick up and maintain and manage. Now, what's new to this is the third phase, and that's called transitional housing. That's where we're going to build four units up near the schools in Palsbo at the top of the hill, and it's going to be called Morrow Manor for artists. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. They can stay up to six years. And a lot of people say, why do you, why do you let somebody stay six years? Guess what? It, it takes that long sometimes to get to the next step. What I did with my time, I went back to school and I got my four-year degree. It changed my life, and I took the power away by empowering myself. And that's what they need. They need to figure out what their passion is, what their dream is, and it'll take that long to feel stabilized. The beauty of the way these are going to be constructed is it's not going to look like a housing project. These are going to be beautiful homes on the outside that look just like the rest of the neighborhood. And there's a beautiful park that the city of Palsbo is putting there. So it's going to be kind of this tranquil, peaceful setting. And we're so proud of it. Mm -hmm. This was a dream four years ago. And because our small rotary, we've only got 130 people in our rotary, but our small little group said, hey, we want to do something. We, we got to start somewhere. Let's do this. And so we've been getting all kinds of volunteers of journeymen, construction people that go, if you have the materials, I'll help you build it. And it's kind of neat how people go, um, they had a great idea from the Bainbridge Island Rotary, the biggest garage sale in the world, I think, is, and Bainbridge Island Rotary, they were the first rotary to raise their hand and they gave us $50,000. It was just 
You should, there was not a dry eye in the room, let me tell you. And we thought, hey, a lot of these women are leaving with barely the clothes on their back. Let's put together maybe some furnishings that we could put together from the rotary sale. So this is how everybody's thinking, what could our part be? Whether it's landscaping, put pictures on the wall. You know, it's, it's, it's the small things that somebody can walk through the door and just breathe. I, I can't tell you how much it, how important it is to be able to walk through, feel safe, and breathe. The great thing about these two, in case there is a problem, there is a call button straight to the police department, and they will be right there. So everybody's safe and people aren't in danger. Wonderful. So we're quite proud of this project. And my, my dear friend Rand and I, we're going to be um, staying late during your coffee hour. If you've got any more questions, if you want to know more about it, if you want to raise your hand and say, how can I help? We're just spreading the word. It's kind of like when you were asking about how do you spread the kingdom of God. Mm. We are disciples to make this a better world. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Um, and thank you for helping us dive more deeply into how do we wrestle with the legacy of texts like this and uh, theologies like this, which uh, certainly are not helpful in the form we've received them, let's say. So thank you very much for your time.